You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Glory. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me today and may God bless you. It used to be said that a woman's hair was her glory. I'm not so sure that applies in this day and age, although many women give a lot of attention to their hair. At one stage of my life, I was a professional photographer. One job I did was to photograph a national hairdressing competition held in the Hilton Hotel in Adelaide. Each hairdresser was required to bring along their own kit plus a model, that is, a woman or a girl, who the hairdresser would use to demonstrate her skills. It was a very interesting program and most of the models were very happy with the styling, except for one girl. She was about 20 years old, was quite pretty and was blonde. This girl was very unhappy and extremely tearful, as the hairdresser had shaved off all her hair except for one long clump which hung down over her right eye. Yes, all her hair had been shaved off, except for this kind of ponytail near the front. (laughs) I I doubt whether the hairdresser and the model ever spoke to each other again. Hair, her hair, could never be said, at least at that time, to have been her glory. Now, that word glory, what does it mean? Well, as a verb, it means to exalt, to rejoice in triumph and extreme satisfaction. As a noun, glory means great praise, honour, distinction fame or admiration. An athlete may glory in his or her success at winning an event. That's a verb. A hero may enjoy the glory given by his admirers for saving someone's life. And that's where glory is used as a noun. There is a hymn that expresses glory to God. And here's the first verse in chorus. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. That hymn expresses glory and praise to God for his wonderful act of grace, love and unselfishness, wherein Jesus forsook his place in heaven, and came down to this sin-infected planet in order that sinful man might be reinstated with God. 
Not only that, but Jesus gave his own sinless life in order to save us who rebelled against God. When one considers what communism is like, individuals don't matter. But with God, individuals do matter. It has been said that if you were the only person on this planet Earth, Jesus would have given his life for you. Oh, what tremendous love that is. But is God's glory shown in any other ways? In Psalm 19 verse 1, there's this short but profound statement, and this is what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. On a clear night, when you're away from the ambient light produced by the lights of a town or city, when you look at the sky, it is a thing of wonder. My son had a friend at university who came with us on a trip to the outback. And this friend was from the city of Hong Kong. As we sat around the campfire near the northern end of Lake Torrens, Patrick announced, I never knew there were so many stars in the sky. Apparently it's possible to count about 5,000 stars with the naked eye, but there in that remote place on that clear dark night, the sky seemed full of stars. To me, when gazing up into the heavens as I've done many times, not only am I filled with the wonder and awe but I ask myself, who was the mighty, majestic being who put those stars in place? And of course I know there are those who accept the Big Bang Theory, but that theory, like the evolution theory, makes absolutely no sense to me. Today I want to share with you something about God and his glory. If you have a Bible, I invite you to read Matthew chapter 17. I'll read the first eight verses. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. 
There has been some debate over the years about whether Jesus was fully human or not. I believe it is fair to say that Jesus was fully human because he experienced all the temptations, all the emotions, sorrows and joys that everybody has in life. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 declares that. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Do you realize that if Jesus was not fully human, he could not have been tempted and been subjected to the same trials as humans are? Yet, at the same time, Jesus was fully divine, although he put that divinity aside while here on earth. But it's also important to remember who Jesus was. He never started out just as a baby born in Bethlehem. He existed before the world began. Here are some Bible statements to support that point. John Chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus was speaking, and this is what he said. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then in John 17, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus is praying to God, the Father, he says, I have brought you glory on earth, by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus, one day in a discussion with the Jews who disputed with him about who he was, made this statement. He said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Then in John 1 verses 1 to 3 is an introduction about who Jesus was. And verses 2 and 3 say, He was with God in the beginning. Through him were all things made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Similar statements are made in Colossians 1 verse 16 and Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2. In John 1 14 is another statement about Jesus. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It has been said that in making the claims about himself, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or who he said he was. Now, liars don't live exemplary lifestyles. 
Liars don't extol people to keep God's commandments. Liars are not prepared to let themselves be murdered for the sake of others. Jesus was not a liar. And lunatics are deluded about what is truth. Lunatics live crazy lives. Lunatics are confused. Jesus was not a lunatic. Jesus was who he said he was. He came down from heaven in order to save lost humanity, and you do well to believe it. Now, back to the Mount of Transfiguration. The three disciples, Peter, James and John, were given proof of who Jesus was. His face shone and his clothes became bright as the light. Not only that, but from the bright cloud came the voice of God the Father saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's no wonder that Peter, one of the three who saw and heard all this, was able to understand and say about Jesus on another occasion, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. Peter may well have been present when Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17 tells that when Jesus had been baptised, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Second Peter chapter 1 verses 15 to 18, Peter, here writing to the churches under his care, had this to say, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We're going to have a little break here and go on straight afterwards. Follow your leading and trust your design. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing out a praise song to you, Lord. In moments like these, I lift up my hands. Up my head. 
book of Exodus is recorded how God gave through Moses his holy law, the Ten Commandments. While Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he asked God, Now show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, while Moses was hidden in a narrow fissure in the rocks, the Lord passed in front of him, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the wicked unpunished, for he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And then in Exodus thirty-four twenty-nine, the Bible tells of what happened to Moses as a result of being in the presence of God. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony, that's Ten Commandments, in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. And if you read the following verses, you'll read how Moses had to veil his face 
because it shone with God's glory for some time afterwards until it returned to normal. Changes will happen when you come into contact with God and his holy word. It must be recognised that anyone who accepts God's grace has a responsibility to reflect and radiate his glory. Matthew 5 verse 16 expounds on that idea. Here's what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul added in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Have you ever seen a movie or a video where the picture is out of synchronization with the sound? Isn't it annoying? A Christian who takes on the name of Christ must be in sync with the values and teachings of Jesus. A transformation must take place when we come into contact with the Lord. Just as Moses' face shone when he left the presence of the Lord, while up on Mount Sinai, so there must be a transformation with us. And yes, I know sometimes that transformation takes a long time because of old destructive habits that are not re easy to get rid of. Our old selfish natures are there ready to pop up, especially in times of stress. But transformation will and must take place. Our desires and interests will also change as a result of being in contact with the Lord. This change is becoming more like God, is known in religious circles as sanctification. It is a lifelong process. And here's what the Apostle Paul wrote about sanctification in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he said, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul was most probably referring to Moses when he spoke about unveiled faces. But did you notice he spoke about ever-increasing glory. The longer one spends in the presence of someone else, it seems the more he or she becomes like them. God revealed his glory to Moses, but it wasn't just a light show. He proclaimed his name. Names mean something, and the name of the Lord meant something. Now I'll read what the Lord's name means. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So, if you are a Christian, or if you're in the process of becoming one, are you compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving, faithful and forgiving? 
Well, that's what happens when one commits his or her life to the Lord. You just can't help it. Have you ever wondered why at Jesus' birth the angel choir that appeared to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests? It is because God's goodness, compassion, love, forgiveness and faithfulness was to be revealed to the universe through Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to save lost sinners, and when wicked people are turned around and become beautiful people, God's glory is further revealed. But when you do what is honest, good and right, God's glory is also revealed. But you know, there is one other thing. Jesus spoke about the glory he had with the Father in heaven. Jesus is coming again, soon. The signs of his coming are more and more obvious. And Jesus promised that he would come in person to collect and take home with him to heaven those who have been faithful to him through the ages. And I hope to be one of them. And here's what Christ promised, and it's from John 14, verses 1 to 3. He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus promised. He gave his word that he would come back to collect his faithful people, the saints, and take them with him back to heaven to occupy the places he's prepared for them. My friends, this will be no secret rapture. The secret rapture theory is a deception. Jesus' coming will be a tumultuous event. But when Jesus, with his people, return to heaven, not only will they say, see his glory, but they will be part of his glory. Jesus may well say to God the Father, Father, here are they for whom I gave up my former glory and, die, and, died in their, and died in their stead. We are satisfied. And I expect all the angels in heaven to say, Amen. Dear listeners, I want to be part of Christ's glory in that band of faithful people. How about you?